your Bibles this morning, I'd like you to turn to the Gospel of Luke chapter 1. Gospel of Luke chapter 1. There are two accounts of Jesus' birth, actually three. One is a much more celestial, a big picture uh, explanation of Jesus' arrival, and that's John chapter 1, but really gives no details of, of the actual birth of Jesus. But Matthew and Luke do particularly, especially the gospel of Luke. We have more information from Luke's gospel about Jesus' incarnation, about his conception, and about his birth than any other gospel. So Luke chapter 1, and in this great celebration that we call Christmas, you won't find the word Christmas in Scripture, but in this great celebration of Christmas, on that first Christmas, on that, and, and the events surrounding that first Christmas, God was carefully preparing many people to be a part of His Son's introduction to the world. There were, there were people of high and low rank. There were, there were shepherds that God was getting ready who were going to declare on that night uh, and, and, and share about Jesus being born and come and witness the newborn Savior of the world. So God was getting shepherds ready. God was getting wise men ready far to the east. And, and they would come after Jesus' birth and they would see the infant Jesus and they would worship Him. And, and God was using Caesar Augustus, the, the far-off uh, Roman emperor in, in Rome, far to the, the west, and God was even using him to declare a census to make this possible. I doubt that Caesar Augustus ever heard the name or the title, Jesus Christ, but, but, but he had a part in Jesus' introduction. There was another king, an evil king named Herod, Herod the Great. He too had a, had a role in these early months and, uh, of Jesus' uh, earthly life. You, you have all of these different people. Shortly after Jesus' birth, God would use a man named Simeon, an older man named Simeon, and, and an older widow named Anna. He would use them as a, as a part of the events around Jesus' birth, shortly after Jesus' birth. And God was, even, God was even preparing a, a celestial body, a star, to point out Jesus. How cool is that? That's the big and the small of it. God was actually altering the universe to declare His Son's arrival. It's a pretty big deal. So if you think, ah, you know, we can give or take Christmas, well, we can kind of maybe give or take some of the stuff associated with it, but at the very center of it is this arrival of Jesus Christ, and that is worth celebrating. God was using people. God was using people. Last Sunday, we looked at an older priest named Zechariah, and his equally older wife named Elizabeth. I, you always want to be careful when you point out a woman's age, but the Bible does because the Bible's very clear to point out that these, this man and this woman of, of great royal lineage descended both of them from, from the priesthood that, that, that they were not going to have children. That's why it points out their age. But then God reveals to them this great plan. And, and so we saw again last week, Zechariah and Elizabeth and their miracle baby named John. We know him 
later on as John the Baptist. God was using all of these different people. It wasn't simply about a manger scene in a Bethlehem night with a star shining. It was more than that. God was using people. And and let me just pause in the narrative here for a moment to say this, that God always uses people to do his work, to carry out his plan. It's always been God's mode of operation to, to use people. He doesn't have to. He chooses to. Ever since the creation of mankind, uh, you you look at at almost every miracle in Scripture, God used someone to be a part of it. Every pronouncement, if it wasn't an angel, it was a person to declare God's plan. It's an amazing thing. God chooses to use people. He still prepares, and He still uses people to do His will and His work. And so so God is actually preparing you to, to... further his kingdom, his kingdom that has no end. God is using people today. Now, Luke chapter 1, verse 26, look at verse 26, it begins this way. It says, in the sixth month, just pause there for a moment, in the sixth month, beginning of verse 26, that means, uh, it does not mean the sixth month of the Jewish calendar, Rather, it was the sixth month of Elizabeth. Remember, I just mentioned her, uh, John the Baptist's very much older mother. Can you imagine, by the way, Elizabeth? I mean, she's far beyond her childbearing years. Everyone who, with, at a glance of her, would know that, that, that she can no longer, uh, because of age, no longer conceive children. And can you imagine, Elizabeth, how I think she, I, I don't know, it doesn't say, but I think she must have been very, very proud of her tummy sticking out here. Six months, right? That's the beginning of the third trimester. She's showing. That's what, isn't that what we, she's showing. And I, I don't know, I don't know this, for, this is just Gary Wildman. I think, I think she was like, look at this. <laughs> and Zechariah, he couldn't speak at this time, but Ze- Zechariah is like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Look at this, it's a miracle. Ah, they must have been very proud. It says here in the sixth month, this is the sixth month, and we'll understand this more in a moment, but it's the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. It says, in the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. So it shifts here from from Elizabeth, talks about the time frame, but now it shifts to another couple, another two people. And, and, And it says here that the angel Gabriel, by the way, this is the same angel who about six months before had showed up and spoken to Zechariah. This angel Gabriel factors pretty large right about here. He's a powerful angel. He's like, he's like if there's going to be an important message that's going to be sent, God uses Gabriel. And now he dispatches, God dispatches Gabriel down to this regional town called Nazareth, which by the way is far from, far from the capital city and center of Jewish worship, which is Jerusalem. So it's a little bit out of the way. It's not an insignificant town. It's a, it's a considerable regional town, but, but it's, it's far from the center of religious, Jewish religious activity. 
The person, or the, the, the person that Gabriel appeared to was a young woman named Mary. Her first mention here. And she, it says here, in these few words, she was engaged to this man named Joseph who was himself descended from Jewish royalty. He's a descendant of David. That's a pretty big deal in Jewish society. And then it records this one very important fact about her. It says that she was a virgin. Now, it's not something that you would always mention about someone, but it's very clear here, and the text makes it very clear, that this woman was a virgin. She had never had sexual relations with a man, so that anything that would happen in regards to a child being conceived would be very, very miraculous. There would be no question then that, that, that uh, as, as certainly, of course, to Mary and to Joseph, that, that this was indeed a miracle. Verse 28 records the angel's first words to Mary. It says, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. <laughs> if you were here last week, you know that this same angel, Gabriel, had appeared to Zechariah when they were in the temple. <laughs> when he was offering up this sacrifice that was pretty significant and pretty, he had to be right on. He didn't want to make any mistakes and the angel appeared to him there. It must have been a shock to Zechariah. I don't know if it was quite as, the, as much shock to, to Mary, but it, it, was, it, was, it was unexpected. It was sudden, it was, it was a, a, a powerful announcement. His, his, the angel's words and appearance were, were mysterious. And, and you can appreciate Mary's response. Look at in verse 29, it says, Mary was greatly, greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. What kind of greeting is this? And the angel continued, verse 30, do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. And this is the pronouncement. Sometimes in some circles it's called the annunciation. If you've heard that term, this is it. Do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son. You are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. In the translation that I just read from, happens to be the New International Version, the translation that I just read from, that pronouncement is 72 words long. You don't need to count it, just trust me on this. I counted it twice. 72 words. It's not very long. And, and, I, and I timed it twice. It takes between 25 and 30 seconds to read that pronouncement. So I'm, I'm assuming, I think it's safe to assume, that it took about 25 or 30 seconds for this announcement to be made to Mary. And in those moments, in that 25 to 30 seconds, in those 72 words, contained a message to a woman that absolutely altered her life. I think it is safe to assume that for the rest of her life, and we don't know how long she lived, we know that she would live at least another 33 years and probably far beyond that. But for the rest of her life, I'm sure every day she thought back to that moment when that angel named Gabriel came and shared that announcement. 
Because no other announcement, no pronouncement, no declaration had the potential of changing her life like this did. Those moments, her, her life in those few seconds, 25 to 30 seconds, in those few seconds, her life was astoundingly changed. But she, didn't understand, she did not understand how it would happen. Verse 34, she said this, how will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. Right? I mean, it's a, it's a fair question. You have to understand, Mary knew how babies were made, but she was not questioning the message of God. She just didn't understand. How can this be? How is it that, that I, who have never had physical relations with a man, and I understand that's how children are conceived, how can this be that I'm going to have a baby and I've never been with a man? How's this possible? She wasn't questioning God, she was just wondering how. And I point that out because some of you need to hear this, God can handle your questions. God can handle your questions. Don't raise your hands, but how many here have at some point in your life said, God, I hear you talking to me, and, and, and I know that I'm supposed to do this, but how is it going to happen? Or maybe sometimes it's more, when is it going to happen? Or, 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 or what do I need to do to make it happen? <laughs> That's very different than saying, God, you can't do this. She wasn't saying, no, God, you're wrong. She's saying, God, how? How? God is not overwhelmed by your questions. Look at verse 35. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Now, again, just hold there for a moment. Uh, please, I'm in, in, again, in no way making light of, of this or, or minimizing this, but there's still some questions there. There's still, okay, I get it, there's, some, there's more information, but, but still can't quite get my head around it. I still can't quite figure it out from my limited perspective. Even now, 2,000 years later, certainly in that moment, Mary hears this additional information that this child is going to be conceived by the Holy Spirit. Again, it says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Got it, I still don't understand. Sometimes God gives us information and, 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 and it's still from our limited perspective, we don't fully understand it. But to help her understand the miracle that would happen within her, Gabriel, under the direction from God, this is a message from God, Gabriel is just the messenger, Gabriel told her that the miracle that had already happened, to, to help her understand the miracle that was about to happen in her, in Mary, Gabriel told her about the miracle that had already happened in her relative Elizabeth. It says this, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. 
So, so, so there, there, were, there were, in this message, there's an element of information that I can't get my head around. The Holy Spirit is going to come upon me. Don't understand exactly what that means. But God, in His great plan, gives her enough information so that, so that the miracle that happened in her old relative, old past childbearing years, that happened in this, the miracle that happened in her, God, the same God can work a miracle in me. Has this ever happened to you? When you, 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 you need a miracle from God, and, and, and you say, Lord, I, I, I need an answer from you that is beyond the natural. I need a supernatural answer. And you hear how God worked a miracle in someone else, and it gives you hope for your own miracle. How many here? Thank God for it. This is what the angel's doing. Or rather, this is what God is saying through the angel. That the miracle that's going to happen in you is even greater than the miracle that happened in her. But nothing is impossible with God. What the angel revealed to this young woman, what, what, what the angel revealed to this young woman in this out-of-the-way place was beyond what words could describe was beyond what, what, what and, and I'm sure that Mary was a very bright woman. I, I, it doesn't say that, but I'm sure that she was a very bright, intelligent young woman. But even the brightest of minds could not fully comprehend what was happening here. <coughs> and I'm sure, again, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming some things, but I think it's a safe assumption to say that the angel's words created more questions than it provided answers. And yet, this remarkable, faith-filled woman, young woman, then said, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. A powerful statement. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Now this morning, for our purposes this morning, I want, I want to focus on three lines. Three lines that, that are from the text, that relate to the text, but also I believe can very much relate to what you're going through right now. The first one, the first is in verse 33, at the end of verse 33, where the angel said, his kingdom will never end. His kingdom, do you see that? His kingdom will never end. The, the angel was declaring that, that the child that she is going to have is going to be an eternal kingdom. She was familiar with kings. Remember, as I mentioned a few moments ago, there is a puppet king named Herod the Great. He's under, really, the authority of someone else. There's a puppet king named Herod, who really isn't even Jewish, but he's the so-called Jewish king. She knew that that was a kingdom, and she hoped it would end. There was an emperor in far-off Rome who had conquered this area. She knew that he was a king, and she was looking forward to the day when that kingdom would end. But now the angel is telling her, you're going to give birth to a son, his name is going to be Jesus, and his kingdom will never end. That's a powerful statement. By the way, just a little historic thing here. Within, within the century, 
Within about 70 or 80 years, the whole kingdom of Herod would disappear forever. Good riddance. It was, it, it's, a footnote in, it, it's a footnote in the dustbin of history. Wretched king. His kingdom ended. The Roman Empire would go on for a couple more hundred years. It would fade off into obscurity. It really died a whimper rather than a roar. But that kingdom also ended. But isn't it amazing that the kingdom of Jesus Christ that was announced to that, that day to Mary, that the kingdom of Jesus Christ, the child that she would give birth to, his kingdom would never and has never ended. It continues today. Glory to God. <laughs> oh, by the way, we just baptized two people who'd made their public de- uh, declaration of Jesus in, in his kingdom last week. And someplace around the world, there are, there are thousands and, and maybe tens of thousands people, of people being, being baptized today uh, who, who are a part of his kingdom. See, his kingdom never ends. That's a good thing to know. His kingdom never ends. Uh, it never will end. Still today, any kingdom, I need to say this, any kingdom or any system of government Whether it's good or bad or somewhere in between, it will not last. It won't last. I am of the opinion that we need to, while we are in these governments, we need to do everything we can to see that they are operated efficiently and well. We understand that. That's why I'm very grateful for my nation. I'm very grateful for my country. But I got news for you. It'll never last Our country is going to fade away someday if Jesus doesn't return in our lifetimes. It will, just like every other political entity. Every kingdom, every every potentate who thinks that he or she is something important, every dictator, all of them will eventually fall, but there is a kingdom that will never end. And she's hearing this for the first time. Dare I say that sometimes we even build our own little kingdoms? No, I don't think. I mean, if you, if, if, if you have a little place and you put a little crown on your head and you declare yourself King George or something, you got a problem. But you understand, when I, say, when I say our own little kingdoms, we can create our own little systems and we think, boy, I'm just make everything perfect. and It's all going to come together and I've got great plans. And, and there's nothing wrong with plans. There's nothing wrong with, you know, building up some things. But I'll tell you what, it'll never last It may not last throughout your lifetime, but it probably won't last much far beyond your lifetime. But there's a kingdom that will last forever. And when you give your heart to Jesus Christ, whether it was last week or last month or last year or 10 years or 50 years ago, when you gave your life to Jesus Christ, you came under his kingdom and glory to God, you're going to live forever. Oh, by the way, even if you're not in his kingdom, you're going to live forever, but you're going to live forever either with him or separated eternally from him in a place of torment forever. But we are eternal. When I gave my life to Jesus, I became a part, a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. You see, this is why it's so important that we understand that, that regardless of what political entity or whatever country you're in or you're going back to, you are a part of the kingdom of God. Man, I don't know about you, but that excites me. I like that. 
His kingdom. His kingdom will last forever. The second line I want to highlight is is in verse 37. In fact, it's the entirety of verse 37 where the angel said this, for nothing is impossible with God. You remember, it's, it's, at the, it's at the very end of, of, of the angel explaining to Mary that the miracle that is in her is going to be even greater than the miracle in her, in her relative Elizabeth. And then finishes with that line, for nothing will be impossible. Nothing is impossible with God. Now, uh, I I need to point out a couple of of basic things here. Notice it doesn't say, for nothing is impossible with God in you, Mary. It just says, for nothing is impossible with God. In other words, the the miracle-working power that God demonstrates is not limited to just one person. Now, this is a remarkable one, and this is a unique one in all of history. But the the miracle-working power of God has never been, has never been, was never meant to just be limited to one or two or a handful of people. Another thing that I want to point out, and my wife and I were discussing, you have to understand my wife is, is really uh, studies language and, and um, uh, notices words, and she made an interesting observation that uh, the, the message is phrased in a double negative. Now, you, I, I, I could read that 50 times and never know, but my wife pointed out, she said it's, it's, it's phrased in the double negative. Nothing is impossible with God. It, w- would it not be more streamlined, and those of us who like things streamlined, um, uh, would it not be easier just to say for everything is possible with God? And I was pondering this. Why is this a double negative? Why, why is the statement for nothing is impossible with God why that instead of saying anything is possible with God? Pondering this. And, and I don't know that I have a definitive answer. But maybe, just maybe, it's because when God calls us to do something or when God calls us to be something, we're often quick to say, that's impossible. You ever have that response? God says, do this. You go, that's impossible. God said, trust me for that. That's impossible. Often, <coughs> excuse me, often our quick response is, that's impossible. I can't do that. You want me to go there? Talk to that person? That's impossible. Maybe that was what she was thinking. This is impossible. We're, we're that way. Maybe it's to tell us that not only is is everything possible with God, but there are no impossibilities with God. That line in verse 37, by the way, is worth writing down and placing it where you can see it. It's a fully self-contained statement in one verse. It's just, what, five or six words, for nothing is impossible with God. Straight from Scripture, not exclusive just to Mary. It doesn't say, for Mary, for you, nothing is impossible. It just says, for nothing is impossible with God. Listen to me. When you or a loved one receive a diagnosis that is less than hopeful, you need to remember that nothing is impossible with God. I mean, you need to get that in your spirit. 
That's why Luke 1, 37 is worth writing down and posting someplace where you can see it. When you have been faithful with the resources that God has given you, you've been faithful with it, and there's still not enough, <coughs> and you still wonder, how are we going to make it? We need to remember that nothing is impossible with God. When there is some break in a family relationship, when there is, when there is it seems irreparable. It may be between a parent, a child, a, 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 a husband, a wife, an in-law. It's some relationship that you know that this is a God-planned, God-ordained relationship, and it seems like it's just torn asunder, like it can never be repaired. You look at that and you go, how can this ever be fixed? I'll tell you what, we need to remember that nothing is impossible with God. We need to remember that God is greater than all of those tears, all of those rips, all of those things that have been ripped to shreds. That our God is greater. Nothing is impossible with God. When God calls you to do something, oh, when God calls you to do something is, that, is, that is beyond your experience, that is beyond your, your skill level, that, that is beyond your, your, your present training, <laughs> you got to get this in your hearts. That the one who created the world is dwelling within you and nothing is impossible with God. There, there will never be. There will never be a shortage of someone telling you that you cannot do what God has called you to do. There will never be a shortage of someone when you, I, I promise you, when you rise up and you say, I'm going to trust God to do something like I've never trusted Him before. I can promise you that there's going to be somebody within a few moments or a few days who are going to tell you, you're crazy, that's impossible. And when you hear that, you need to be ready with the response to look them in the eye and with love and yet firmness say, but nothing is impossible with my God. To declare that. This book... This book is full of people who are facing impossible, impossible situations. That's why it's recorded here. But the God of the impossible made it possible. And he still does. If you are walking in his plan, it's conditional. Are you, if you're walking in his plan, if you are walking in his plan and you're trusting him for something great and you're, you're, you're believing, Lord, you're going to do something beyond what I could ask or imagine, <coughs> you need to remember that there are millions who've gone before you, not all of them recorded here, but throughout history, but many of them recorded here, but there are millions who've gone before you who trusted God for even greater things and the God of the impossible made it possible. Nothing is impossible with God. Last week, last week, some of you were here, some of you were not. But last week I asked you to begin praying about taking part in a time of 
fasting and prayer. The, the, first, the first three full weeks of January. The fifth through the, what, 26th. It's not, a, it's not a mandatory, we don't, we don't operate that way. If you're, if you're new here at AFA, we don't make those kinds of decrees. But we place it before you for something to, to prayerfully consider doing. But, but I, I, I presented this, that, that some months ago the Lord put it on my heart that, we're, that I'm, I'm to call the church, our, our fellowship of believers here, to a time where, where we set something apart Set something aside so that we can spend more time in, in, in devoted prayer about one or two or three things, however many the Lord puts on our hearts. See, that's what fasting and prayer is. Fasting and prayer, fasting is saying uh, uh, we're going we're gonna to put aside something that is, is extremely important and, and often even essential. To set that aside to spend more time in in. In, in prayer. If, if, you just, if, if, it's, if, if you just set one thing aside and, and you don't pray, that's not fasting and prayer, that's, that's called a diet. That's, that's just that's something entirely different, right? Or, or whatever it is that you say, I'm going to hold off on. But, but it's both. It's saying, I'm going to put this aside so that I can, because I'm, seri- I'm so focused on this, that I'm going to put aside this thing that is very important, whatever it might be, whatever the Lord, it is the Lord would call you to, to put that aside and spend more time in seeking God in, in very intense and very devoted prayer. But here's the thing. Often, when the subject of fasting and prayer is presented, people get hung up on the fasting part and forget about the praying part. Some of you in this last week, you're, you're in a quandary because you're, you're, you're so focused on what you may be giving up that you forget about what God may be calling you to pray for. And that's more important. What's more important than setting something aside and whatever that might be is what is it that God is placing upon your heart to trust Him like never before? What major impediment, what thing is there that's blocking? What, what challenge is there that has been before you for a long time? And for three weeks, you're going to say, I'm going to put aside something because I'm going I'm to trust God like I've never trusted Him before. And I'm going to intercede heavily on behalf of, b- before my Lord, and I'm gonna, or I'm going to pray for someone else, and, and, but, and I'm going to trust God to do something unlike He's ever done in my life. So more important than what is it you're going to set aside, what are you going to pray for? That's what you need to be focused upon. Not what am I going to set aside, what am I going to pray for? That's why we announced it early. That's why in these weeks leading up to it, I want you to be praying about what you're going to be praying about. Because I believe that there's going to be some strongholds that are broken. There are going to be some log jams that that are going to be busted wide apart. There's going to be some people that you've been praying about for a long time who, because God put it on your heart to take part in this and to fast and pray, we're not going to put a clipboard around. We're not going to have you sign up for anything. We're not going to post your name and we're not going to call you out. We're not going to do that. But you're going to do it and you're going to trust God and you're going to say, I'm going to trust Him like never before. 
for a miracle. For a miracle. So what impossible thing? What impossible thing will you bring in prayer before the God who can make all things possible? What are you going to bring? One more thing that I want to highlight, one more statement rather, that I want to highlight from this passage, and it's Mary's response in verse 38. She said, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. I mentioned earlier, I doubt that all of Mary's questions were answered. For the following months, and in fact, on a couple of occasions, it says that when she observed something or heard something, it says she pondered these things in her heart. What I, what I think that means is that she would see this newest event in Jesus' life and she would reflect back on the statement of Gabriel years, months or years before. How does what just happened factor into that angelic declaration? But she had more questions. At this point, she had more questions than she had answers. And she could have refused. She could have said no. And by the way, God could have used someone else. He could have. And he would have. Because he had a plan. She had a choice. She had a choice. Had Mary not wanted her nice plans interrupted, and she did have some great plans. She was engaged to this, and when it says she was, uh, uh, one, one translation says betrothed, uh, it's, it's, like, it's like not just engagement, but it's like engagement plus. They were not married yet, but it's like, not, it's, it's more than just the ring on the finger and we've set a date. It's just like we're getting ready for, it's like a process. I mean, this was a big deal. She had some great plans. She's going to be married to this really neat guy named Joseph. He, he's a good guy, a man of honor. He, he's a hard worker. He's got some things going for him. He's got this carpentry thing going here. Good prospects. She had some plans. Had she not wanted her nice plans interrupted, she could have turned away and God would have sent Gabriel to someone else. Had Mary not been willing to pay the high price of obedience? Because that's what this called for. It was either yes or no. You on or you're not. Are you into this or are you not into this? Had she not been willing to pay the high price of obedience, she could have opted out and God would have used another person. But she didn't. Mary said, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. And there are times when God calls us to do something and we have all of these questions and we know that, that saying yes to God means an interruption to my own plans. That the way that I thought that life would be carried out is not going to be carried out. That all of the little pieces that I had planned, they may not happen in the sequence that I like. That obedience is going to cost me that saying yes to you, Lord, means saying no to other things. 
and to other people. And that's hard. Obedience is always hard. She had a choice in the matter. She could obey God's call or she could say no and God would have used another. So now I bring it to you. What's God calling you to? What's God calling you to? Are you his servant? Have you surrendered your life to him? Or are you still trying to live on your own? You still trying to, are you, really, are you, are you still trying to figure it out yourself? Do you really think that if you haven't figured it out by this time, you're gonna? You haven't and you won't. There's only one place to be. Lord, I'm your servant. Do you know that you're his servant? Do you know that you serve the most holy God? Do you know that not only he is yours, but you are his? This is one of those times in Scripture where I, I wish that I wish that I could see this scene. I think it was something. I think I think it was something like that. I don't know, but this is in my mind's eye. This is how it is. Here's Mary. She's like I don't understand it all. I'm the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you've said. She said yes. The rest is history. The rest is a trip to Bethlehem to be counted in a census declared by some far-off emperor who invaded our country. The rest is after that. Another king wants to kill this child. He perceives it as a threat, so they move to Africa, Egypt, which is in Africa. And they're there in Egypt for a time. They become displaced people. All of this, it would go even to the point of Mary standing at the foot of the cross, looking up at her son 33 years later as he's hanging there on the cross. Still more questions than answers. But trusting in her son's heavenly father. Oh, that's just part of the story. But what about you? Are you the Lord's servant? You see, his kingdom will never end. His kingdom will never end. Are you a part of his kingdom? If you're a part of his kingdom, then you are a part of the kingdom that will never end. If you're not, if you're not a part of his kingdom, you will be part of another kingdom that will just become nothing in a shorter time than you realize. But are you a part of his kingdom? Nothing is impossible with God. That too is a true statement. Do you believe that? Do you believe that regardless of what you face, if you are in the Lord's will and you are in His plan and He calls you to do something or be something, that nothing is impossible with Him? That regardless of what comes your way, how, however difficult or easy it might be or anywhere in between, that our God is greater and nothing is impossible with God. Some of you are facing that right now. Some of you just need to get a hold of that right today because you're looking at the impossibilities and you need to hear it. You need to hear a clarion call. Nothing is impossible with God. 
And some of you are at a place, you're at a crossroads. And you, you can have a choice. You can say, no, Lord, not me, someone else. Or you can say, Lord, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. The closing moments of our service this morning, we're almost out of time, and I want to be sensitive to that. I know that there are a lot of things that are planned, but we've come to a very, very important part of this service. And that is where I want to give you an invitation. Perhaps there are some here this morning. Would you bow your heads? Perhaps there are some here this morning who are not a part of His kingdom. I know you know a lot about the Christmas story and you may know some facts and figures about Jesus and the Bible and all of that. That's fine, but it's not enough that you're not a part of His kingdom. Or you really wonder if you are. This morning I want you to know that you can be. Some of you cannot declare, I am the Lord's servant. Because quite frankly, you're still serving yourself. But you can be the Lord's servant. So before we go any further, with your heads bowed, your eyes closed, I want to give an invitation to any person this morning who might be here and you don't know or, 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 or you do know that you're not His. If that's you, I want to pray with you. So would you, in these, in these final moments, would you just, uh, would you lift up your, your eyes and, and lift up your hand also. Catch my eye and, and let me see you with your hand and I want to pray with you. Is there anyone here this morning? prayed this prayer you're not sure Lord you see you see these these hearts and these hands and I I pray Lord that even in this moment even in this very simple moment this very important moment and a moment of eternity because Lord when we give our lives to you we become a part of that eternal kingdom so, Lord, if there is anyone here today that would, that, that would declare that openly or, or, or quietly, would simply say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Pray that prayer. Lord Jesus, come into my heart and forgive my sin. I surrender my life to you. I want to be your servant. I believe that you were not only born, but you died on the cross and you rose from the dead for me. I want to live for you. So today, I want to begin to be a part of your eternal kingdom. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, I want to pray. There's that other statement in verse 37. For nothing is impossible with God. Six words. For nothing is impossible with God. I, I, again, in no way want to embarrass, but if you have, are facing an impossibility and you need the God of the impossible to make it possible, would you just lift your hand for a moment too? And I want to pray with you at the close of the service. Is there anyone else here? Go ahead. I mean, yeah, my hand's up. Thank you. A number of people. Lord Jesus, you see these hands and these hearts as well. And I pray that this statement that was made, not made exclusively to Mary, 
It was not made exclusively about Elizabeth, but it's for every follower of you. Lord, may may you, the God of the impossible, make it possible. You are God over all. Would you work miracles? We believe that you are still a miracle-working God and that there are no other answers, but we can turn to you. So Lord, with these hands that have been raised, would you encourage, but would you also make the impossible possible? Work miracles, we pray in Jesus' name. Would you stand with me, please, across this? I want to pray over you one more time. I've just prayed twice with two different groups. I want to pray for all of you at this time. I want to ask God's blessing on you. Once again, in just two days, Tuesday night, we're going to meet together here at 5 o'clock. There's going to be a lot of music. There's going to be a lot of singing. You're going to be doing a lot of singing. Join us. from five. To, we're done by 6 because there are a lot of events planned that night. But join us for that time. We're going to sing a whole bunch of stuff, hear some special music, read some, read the story, and uh, uh, the true story, and and uh, and and celebrate the, the the birth of Jesus together. So join us. Bring somebody with you. You bring family. If you say, "Wow, they came to visit you for Christmas," bring them. And then afterwards, you go eat and celebrate together as a family. I want to ask God's blessing on you now. You bow your heads, please. Jesus, thank you again for these people. Thank you for this time. We thank you for this season that now it's, it's so many, so many thousands, a couple thousand years that we've been celebrating this every year. And, and now you've, you've seen fit to give us another year of life and we thank you for that. And, and so now, Lord, we celebrate you. We thank you and I ask your blessing upon these people. Bless them and keep them, protect them their travels, protect them in their celebration, protect them with their family, do healing, work miracles, I pray. Bless these people. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you and Merry Christmas.